Welcome, welcome to Sunday morning service. Wow, 11 o'clock. Y'all look good. Y'all look rested. Come on. Come on, come on. Y'all excited to be here? I see so many people like going to the beach and going and doing fun stuff. Like, yeah, we're, we're kicking off summer with a bang. Next week's our kids camp. Come on. They're going to have an amazing time. Thank you, baby. Um, so this morning, I get to talk to you, and I am super excited because I get to talk to you about my friend. You see, my friend um, is somebody who's always in the room, but we might not acknowledge that he's there. Sometime our friend is actually treated like a genie in a bottle. Because you see, my friend has these amazing gifts that he loves to pour out, and he is such a gift giver, but we only want him for his gifts. Sometimes it's like we think that this friend is a golden ticket, like on Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, the golden ticket to get into heaven. My friend is the Holy Spirit, and he loves a relationship with us. Amen. And you see, he wants to fellowship with you because he has this amazing power that we have to have in order to change ourselves, for us ourselves to be changed to change the world around us, we have to have this power or it's impossible to do. It's so amazing because do you know, like if Jesus were to ask you, do you want me to stay with you at all times? Or would you rather me send someone to be with you that you really can't see, which would you choose? Would you choose Jesus to stay with you in the flesh, or would you choose something else that you might not can see, but you can feel, and you can experience? Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, but here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the divine encourager, the Holy Spirit will not be released to you, but after I depart, I will send him to you. Whoa. Jesus is saying, there's no way that we're gonna turn this world upside down unless I leave you and send the Holy Spirit to help you. I think he's pretty important. I think he's pretty important. I can't, um, I feel like I can't talk about the Holy Spirit without first talking a little bit about the Godhead. Because obviously the Godhead we know is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this was, it was really cool because um, I just saw this example and I had never heard of it before. And, um, 
and I've probably been living under a rock, but hadn't heard it. Um, Because I had heard examples like Holy Spirit, Father, Son, it's all like water. And, you know, like one turns into steam and one turns into ice. And I was like, I'm just not feeling that. Like, it's a good example, but I'm not feeling it. And then somebody the other day said, the Godhead is like an egg. And although, like, yeah, it's a, it's a weak example. It is. It's weak. Um, but, you know, like, the Godhead's like the Pacific Ocean, and we're like a two-liter. So there's a lot we don't understand. Amen? Amen. Like, it's just the way that it goes. So, but if you have the shell, it's like the Father, who is our protector, and then you have, I like to say, like, the inside, the white, the, the egg white. Like Jesus, like he washes us white as snow. And then you have the egg yolk, who brings life. And it's the next generation of life. Like the Holy Spirit brings life to us. Amen. Does that make a little bit of sense? I know it's, I mean, I, you know what? At the end of the day, there's really no example that we could possibly give that would represent fully what the Godhead looks like because they work so closely together and in tandem and in unity with one another that you almost can't see the difference between the three. Yet, we know Jesus died on a cross for us. We know Holy Spirit comes to comfort us, to give us power. We know that the Father in heaven, that he is always protecting his children. So we see that there's, there, there are three separate persons, but yet so beautifully work in tandem with one another. So we see the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. And let me say this, like, okay, so at the beginning of John, he talks about that the Word, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was made flesh. So who was the Word? Jesus was the Word. So then we see at the beginning of creation where the Word is speaking the worlds into existence in Genesis 1-2. In the beginning was God. And he's speaking the worlds into existence. And Holy Spirit is hovering over the deep of the water, waiting for the word to be spoken so he could do something about it. Because they work in tandem so much with one another that he's waiting for the word to be spoken. So Holy Spirit, you say you want light, there it is. You say you want birds, there it is. That's why when we say the declarations over our offering, they're so important Because Holy Spirit needs something to work with. So if we are speaking it out, he's like, finally, I have something to work with. Say, let me breathe on that. Let me breathe on that. 
But here's the deal. If we only look to Holy Spirit as he's just power, we miss so much more of the Godhead. If we only look at Holy Spirit as our genie in a bottle, then we lose out on the fellowship that he wants with us. Because you see, he's a person that wants relationship. He has emotions. He has a will. It even says that so much of a will that he wills who will get what gifts he gives to the body of Christ. So he's a person that we can even grieve. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whatever you do. Don't grieve him. So if we look at the first time that it's mentioned about Holy Spirit and us actually needing Holy Spirit to, to fulfill the calling that's on our life, to fulfill the great commission that Jesus has for us. We see it in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Verse 1. And it says, Now there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of the sect called the Pharisees, and a member of the Jewish ruling council. High up, Jewish religion, and he goes to Jesus. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is within you. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak in eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement, you must be born from above. So we see her here in John chapter 3, Nicodemus and God and Jesus speaking to him saying, you must be born of the water and of the spirit to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Amen? Amen. So then we go because it's so important here to see like it is always the word and the spirit or the word or Jesus working together. I mean the word and the spirit working together. They work in tandem with one another because the spirit gives life, but the letter what? Kills. 
The Bible says this, the letter kills because the word of God, actually, when we read it, we see that the word of God says that man cannot do this on his own. There's no way in your own power that you can do this, but you need something greater to come in and give life. And then you see sometimes where somebody only has the word and no life, and they are just kill, kill the law. You probably know some of those people where it's nothing but the law that they understand because there's no spirit life that comes and gives life to the word. And then you see some scenarios where it's only Holy Spirit and no word. You get really puffed up. Things can get really weird if the two are not working in tandem. Does that make sense? And you probably can think about some of those scenarios where it's like, mm, you need to go back to the Word and read that it is not in your power. You need to go back to the Word and read that those things are sin, but the Holy Spirit comes behind when he's, he reveals, when, when the word reveals to us that, you know what, my actions here weren't very good and they weren't very godly. Then you have the spirit that comes behind and says, but I'm going to give you power to overcome that. Amen. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful union between the two. So, we have at the end of chapter at the end of the chapter of John we have Jesus giving them the great commission and he's telling them you're going to do these incredible works and even at the end of John it's interesting because have you ever read at the end of John where he blows on them to receive the spirit and cuz you see there's times when the Spirit is upon us. And then there's another experience that goes beyond that. Because Jesus said, no, I need you to go wait in Jerusalem until this experience and immersion of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I need you to go wait for the power. See, it wasn't good enough that he just breathed on them. See, they needed it fully immersed because they needed to be fully alive with this friend we call Holy Spirit in order to do the work that he had created them to do. He said, go wait for the promise. And then we see in Acts 1 verse 3. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm and shared meals with them. So he was resurrected, 
And he, then he came back for 40 days to explain, I'm not going to take over the government. Instead, I'm going to put a spirit in you that is so powerful that you will be the light to the world. Because their brains couldn't even fathom what he was talking about. So he had to come back and explain it to them for 40 days. During these encounters, he taught them the truths, shared meals. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about. The gift the Father has promised, for God baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, 8, we skip down and we say, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. So they're waiting for the promise. They're waiting for this friend we call Holy Spirit to come and fully immerse them. Baptized means to be fully immersed. Then on Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled. Do you know God has impeccable timing? So he tells them to go wait for this promise. And he waits till all these people come for the feast of Pentecost. All these Jews come from all over the land who all speak different languages. They're waiting to come to the feast of Pentecost. And that's when he decides to pour out his spirit is on the feast of Pentecost so that it can go to the ends of the earth. So it says, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in tongues and powered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. So they go out after this incredible experience of being baptized into the Spirit of God and they go out speaking in new tongues and they start saying, you guys must be drunk. And they're like, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. There's no way that we can be drunk. It's the spirit of God. And then Peter stands up and says, like, this is what Joel prophesied. The prophet Joel said, I, he prophesied and said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then Peter starts saying, under, like they need this understanding of who Jesus is because they have no idea. He's like, you killed Jesus. <laughs> and they don't even have a clue at this moment of what is going on. And they see the depravity of man at that moment. Like, Jesus, you killed Jesus. And then what does Peter then say? He stands up and he preaches to them, Acts 2.38. And says, and they're like, what do we need to do, Peter? 
You're saying all this. You're saying that God just poured out his spirit on you. You're speaking with this tongue. You're in our own language. And how are you possibly doing this? He's like, because of the Holy Spirit. But first, you need to repent and return to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. Now, so many times we hear, the, we hear that the promise was only for then, that he only poured out his spirit in the book of Acts because he was trying to get the message uh, of Jesus spread throughout the whole world. But yet here they argue that, but then there's the scripture, and it says, for this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families, for those yet to be born, and for everyone who the Lord calls to himself. Wow. It's for every believer because every believer needs to be equipped to be able to do the mission that he has called us to. There's no way we can do this on our own except with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, he poured his spirit out on 3,000 people. Wow. And they spoke in another language. He is so powerful. But do you see the correlation here between Nicodemus saying to be born again you must be born of water and of spirit and then peter over here saying repent be baptized for the remission of sins you shall receive the gifts of the holy spirit do you see the correlation here that he wants to equip equip his sons and his daughters for the work of the ministry So then we have Acts verse 8, and we go down to Acts verse 8, and I didn't give this to them because I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it, and they realize that the Samaritans um, have received the Lord, and it says, um, so they went to pray over them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit after they received the Lord. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and were yet to have the Holy Spirit fall upon them. As soon as Peter and John arrived, they laid hands on the Samaritan believers one after another, and the Holy Spirit fell and filled each of them. So we see here the first time Peter is preaching and the Holy Spirit falls. Now we see that they went and laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit falls on the Samaritans. Then in chapter 9, we see that, that Paul is um, on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to Paul, the scales on his eyes, and then he tells them to go and lay hands on Paul so that Paul can receive the Holy Spirit. 
And then in chapter 10, we see that Cornelius is praying. He's a, he's, he's a Gentile. And he is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. But he's a praying man. And he's a fasting man. And word gets sent by, by a vision and by a trance that, that Cornelius needs the Holy Spirit. And so they go, and they lay hands on him. And actually, they don't lay hands. They are preaching. And they receive the Holy Spirit from preaching. And they know that they receive the Holy Spirit by preaching because they started speaking in tongues and praising God extravagantly. So they know that they then receive the Spirit of God. So we have, at this time, we have... The Jews, the Spirit of God being poured out on the Jews. We have the Spirit of God being poured out on the Samaritans who are like hybrid Jews. Paul, who is a complete Pharisee, legalistic, killing people because they believe in Jesus. It's being poured out on him. It's being poured out on the Gentiles like this message was for the entire world. It's for you and for your sons and your daughters and everyone yet to be born. Then we go down to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. And it says, and y'all do have this one, Acts 19 verse 1. Yeah, while Apollos was ministering in Corinth, Paul traveled on through the regions of Turkey until he arrived in Ephesus, where he found a group of 12 believers, followers of Jesus. The first thing he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? No, they replied, we've not even heard of a Holy Spirit. And how many of you that that's your testimony? I remember being like 24 and, and somebody saying, have you been born again? And I'm like, what does that even mean? And they're like, have you received the Holy Spirit? I'm like, nobody even told me that there was this Holy Spirit. Who is this incredible friend that I've been missing out on this whole time? Whose testimony that that's you? It's like, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Paul asked, then, what was the meaning of your baptism? They respond, it meant that we would follow John's teaching. Paul said, John's baptism was for those who were turning from their sins. And he taught you to believe in and follow the one who was coming after him, Jesus the anointed one. When they understood this, they were baptized into the authority of Jesus the anointed one. And when Paul laid his hands on each of the 12, the Holy Spirit manifested and they immediately spoke with in tongues and they prophesied. You see, every time that we see when the Holy Spirit was poured out and they're fully immersed. Now there's times in the Old Testament, it was time and time again, the Holy Spirit would rest on people. You would see Samson, like the last time I spoke, Samson, who the Spirit of God came upon him and he was able to rip the lion apart. 
We see other times when the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody, David, and they, he had this incredible leadership ability, or somebody would have like this amazing creativity because the Holy Spirit rested upon them. But when the Holy Spirit actually comes and dwells in you, it is an undeniable experience, and there are signs that follow. In every account, there was signs that followed after the Holy Spirit came upon them. And if you have not received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like there's no way that you can, you can say, I'm not sure if I have it. I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. If you say, I'm not sure then it's probably not an undeniable experience because he always shows up with an undeniable experience that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. See, because there's more. It might mean that you have already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've been baptized and at the time that you said yes to Jesus, he comes upon you. There's no doubt he comes and he rests upon you, but he is waiting for a full surrender of Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit, like just, Holy Spirit, I fully surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I fully surrender. Like what must we do? Fully Surrender to the Holy Spirit so that he can make this temple his dwelling place. Because once again, I can, I can perform great works. I can do lots of amazing things with the Holy Spirit just resting upon me. But the power comes when Holy Spirit comes and dwells and makes this body his home. And all it takes is surrender. All it takes is surrender. You see, Holy Spirit, he comes with supernatural abilities. He comes with artistic skills. Supernatural strength and power like we saw with Samson. He comes with inspiration of prophecy. He cleanses the heart. He brings revelation. This is the spirit of revelation and knowledge and understanding. He's such an incredible teacher. He regenerates the believer. He sanctifies the believer. He imparts truth. He glorifies Jesus. This says none come to Jesus without the drawing of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who draws you to Jesus. He makes intercession for us. It's like when I don't know what to pray. How often is that? Like, I don't know what to pray. But it says the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us in those times. Because he always knows what to pray. And sometimes we just need to ask him, Holy Spirit, what do I need to pray right now? Guide me on how I need to pray. And he will instruct you. Because he's that good. 
He imparts gifts for the ministry. Wow, what incredible gifts he gives. There's a whole list of gifts, and I, and I don't even think we could ever capture how many gifts there are. Administration, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, so many things. Like, there's no way we could ever do this in our own ability, and there's no way that we can do this in our own talent but by the Holy Spirit. And he was behind the written word of God. This is the Holy Spirit inspired the written word of God. So what would it be like without the Holy Spirit? And in Good Morning Holy Spirit, it, it was just so good. It says, what would it be like without him? It says, it is impossible to know God without the Holy Spirit. He's the one who bears witness that our spirit, with our spirit, that we are children of God. It's impossible to understand the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. Only Holy Spirit can help us understand the spiritual dimension. It's impossible to know the truth without the Holy Spirit. He guides us into all truth. It's impossible to stay free from sin without the Holy Spirit. He keeps us free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8, 2. It's impossible to pray without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to have a faith-filled life without the Holy Spirit. Without him, we tend to lean on our own understanding and miss out on the promises of God. It's impossible to live an unshakable, established Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We must be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man in order to be rooted and grounded in love. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Surrender. And worship team, you can come. It's simply surrender. You see, but I don't want you to leave here and say, I just want the power. Because if you just want only power, you're missing out on a whole another side of Holy Spirit. But I want him. I want him to come dwell within me. I want him not just to rest in me, upon me, but to be indwelled in me. Make this place his home. We need him. It says in Isaiah 60 that great darkness fills the earth, but the light. And see, he wants to put that light in you. If the world is dark, the only way that the light is going to come is if he comes and dwells in us. So the light can so shine. He wants to equip us this morning. He wants to equip you. It's personal. It's so personal. And not just this morning, but he wants to equip you every single day. You see, he's always there. And he's just waiting for you just to say, good morning. He wants fellowship with you. 
He wants to be your friend, your teacher, your guide. Yeah. He just wants friendship with you. And with friendship, you get all the benefits. It's our inheritance. He is our inheritance. You get it all if you get him.